Isn't it true that our world yearns for integrity? It seems to be something that many people in our world value and something that people desire, but something that people struggle to find in the world. Uh, many in our world have this innate, innate, innate sense of justice and rightness, and so they desire and they, they expect people to have integrity, sometimes even when they don't have integrity themselves. They expect leaders and politicians and CEOs to be men and women of total integrity, even if they don't themselves sometimes. And they're surprised and then they're outraged when people turn out not to have integrity. Maybe even now you're thinking of famous celebrities or leaders, politicians over the last year and you think, yeah, where's the integrity? Or maybe you're thinking about events of even the past week and you you think, where's the integrity that should be there? What about King David? When you think of King David in the Old Testament, what do you think of? A sinner or a saint? A man of integrity or a hypocrite? It's true, his life was not without scandal and great sin. But he was also someone who responded rightly to sin, didn't he? At God's rebuke, he confessed, repented, and was forgiven. But why do I bring up David? Well, you would have heard, read before, at the beginning of the psalm, just at the top there, it says, Davidic. This is a psalm of David. And so if you know anything about David, you might be thinking, does this match up? with what I know about King David in the rest of the Bible. If you don't know much about King David or what he was like, can I encourage you to go home and read 1 and 2 Samuel in your Bible. You will learn a lot about David. And you'll also grow in your understanding of the Bible as a whole because David is such an important person in the Bible. But whatever your knowledge of David is, here we get a picture of him as he prays. As he cries out to God, we see who he is, what he is like, And that he is a man of devotion and a man of integrity. So let's explore it together. We'll read the first few verses. And as we read, let's ask ourselves, uh, David, how do you present yourself? As he talks about himself, what picture do we get about him? Verse 1. Vindicate me, Lord, because I've lived with integrity and have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and mind, for your faithful love is before my eyes, and I live by your truth. David's opening words, they give us this really clear picture of him. What does he say about himself? I am a man of devotion. I am a man who has lived with integrity. That's a bold statement, isn't it? He confidently declares his life of integrity. A life of trusting in the Lord without wavering, he says. I've stayed the course. I've not been blown aside by the wind of life or whatever comes my way. And he's so confident. Look at verse 2. He's so confident. He says, test me, Lord. See if I'm telling the truth. Check my heart and mind because you know all things. You know, God. I know. You and I both know that I am a man of integrity. How does that sit with you? Such a bold declaration. How many of us will be bold enough to speak to the God of the universe like that? Doesn't David seem a little arrogant here? How can you be so confident, David? Aren't you a sinner just like us? A thousand years later, Jesus would tell the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I hope you know that story. When we read that story in the Gospels, 
when we read it, and then we, we read kind of what David says here, doesn't it make us think, well, David, you kind of sound more like the Pharisee than the tax collector. You're boasting in your own righteousness, your own integrity. Shouldn't you be more like the tax collector? Shouldn't you humble yourself and, and weep for your sin? It's a good question, isn't it? But we need to read David's words a little bit more closely. Because I skipped over the first two words. Have a look there. First three words. Verse 1. Vindicate me, Lord. He calls on God to be his judge, to hear his case, to defend him and to rule in his favor. But what does David need vindicating from? Or who does David need vindicating from? He actually doesn't say outright. But he does later on say that there are people who blatantly are sinful. They are unashamed to be sinners. And later on, he talks about men of bloodshed and bribery and evil schemes. Was that what David was facing? This is what David needed vindicating from. His enemies were attacking him. And these enemies were not just enemies of David, but enemies of God. They opposed the king of Israel, the anointed king, and they have no regard for God themselves. They're hypocrites. They they might pretend to know God and pretend even to be friends with David, but really they're trying to stab him in the back. They are his enemies, and so they are God's enemies as well. And so compared to them, isn't David a man of integrity? He has remained devoted to God while others have gone astray to worship other gods, like many did in Israel. His devotion to God was genuine, not like them who pretended to worship God and then completely ignored his word and ways and plotted evil. So David, as he faces his enemies, he pleads his innocence in comparison. His general life of devotion and integrity, and he asks God to rule in his favor Because he's in the right in this circumstance, rather than his enemies. You see, David here, this is really important, he's not claiming to be sinless and perfect. In other Psalms, what does he do? He confesses his great sin and his guilt. David knows he is a sinner. This is no claim to be sinless. No, he's saying, I am a saved sinner. A sinner who has been forgiven by God and then God has worked in me to bring about righteousness, godliness and integrity. God has kept him on the right path. God can and truly does grow his people. How can the God of the universe not be powerful enough to do that? This is what happens as we read God's word. We find that the Christian life is a bit of a paradox. Because on the one hand, the mature believer is confident But on the other hand, the mature believer is humble. On the one hand, we can be confident that if we trust in Jesus, we are forgiven by God, and he is then at work in us to make us more like Christ, to love him and to obey him. And we can see and recognize God's work in our life, can't we? And in one another. Fergus kind of mentioned that before. We can praise God for the way that he grows us in Christ-likeness. So we should be confident in one hand, but on the other hand, we should always be humble, knowing that we are terrible sinners and that we still stumble in many ways and that anything good that we do comes from God 
and his work in us when we trust in Christ. It's all his grace. Do you see how that works? It's, it's being confident yet not arrogant, and it's being humble yet realistic about the fact that God works in us by his spirit. And so as God's people, we need to walk that line between humility and confidence. Humility about ourselves and confidence in God. And I hope I am being both humble and confident uh, when I say I think I've experienced this in my life. There are times when I've been confident in my integrity, when I've made a particular decision or had a challenging conversation with someone, and as I've reflected on it and prayed about it and talked to fellow Christians about it, I'm confident that I've done the right thing from a good motive. But there are also other times when I thought I was right, when I thought I was being integrous. I thought that my motives were good. But as I spoke to others and as I reflected and as I prayed, I realized I was wrong. And that at least some of my motivation was selfish. And that I could have and should have done things differently. And so I've had to humble myself. This is the tension of the Christian life. God truly does grow his people in godliness and integrity and devotion to him. And there are times when we can be confident in that. But we must always strive to be humble to lower ourselves, to cut down our pride and be ready to admit when we are wrong, even if at first we think we're right. And when you think about it, God's most wonderful gift to us to help us with that is his word and the fellowship of his people. How sad is it when people stand by their words and actions without testing themselves against the word of God? How sad is it when people profess that they are in the right when other godly Christians are saying, no, mate, that was not right. We must listen to God's word and to God's people. If we ever have any confidence in our integrity, it should be humble confidence. Like David's here, recognizing that it is only by God's grace and God's spirit that we can do anything good or have any integrity. Well, David, he paints himself as this man of devotion and trust and and integrity. And then he cries out to God, be my judge, vindicate me. But then he moves on to present evidence to the court. Uh, in In the second part of the passage, David's devotion is on display. He says, here is the evidence of my integrity. And what does he say? He says, look at where I am and look at the company I keep. Look at where I hang out and look at who I hang out with. When I was younger, when I was a young and hip teenager back in the day, uh, we used to say, hey man, where you at? And that was the cool way to say, where are you right now? Uh, So you call your friend on the phone, you'd be like, hey man, where you at? And he'd be like, I'm down at food court, Norwest, with Jono, see you in 10. And we thought we were really cool by talking like that. But where is David. David, where are you at, man? That's what we can ask him here in these verses. Where is David and where is he hanging out? Look at verses 4 and 5. David is not sitting with the worthless, with the hypocrites. He's not hanging with evildoers. He's not with the wicked. 
You see, David shows his integrity by showing that he does not have time for people who love sin and for people who hate God. They are not the company I keep, he says. They are not the people I surround myself with. They are not my friends. They're my my closest trusted advisors, he says. David's giving us an important lesson here. The faithful believer is careful, careful about the company they keep. The, The mature Christian doesn't let themselves be influenced by unbelievers. The mature Christian doesn't let themselves be led astray by others and tempted to sin. This does not mean that we remove ourselves from the world and we all live in this nice little Christian bubble. No, what did Jesus do? Jesus reached out with the gospel as he wants us to. We're to love the humble and the lowly and to love our neighbors no matter who they are. No, David is talking about joining in with the proud, being influenced by those who defy God. He doesn't join in the crowds and go along with their sin and neither should we. He doesn't let himself be led astray by those who have no regard for God. And neither should we. He avoids those situations. And so should we. You won't find David with a crowd of sinners. Instead, where do you find David? Where's he at? Look at the company he keeps. Verse 6. He says, I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, Lord, raising my voice in thanksgiving and telling about your wonderful works. Lord, I love the house where you dwell, the place where your glory resides. Where's David at? Where do you find him? You find him at the temple, at the tabernacle. He's at God's house where where God chose for his glory to dwell in Israel. David says, that's where I am constantly. I'm offering sacrifices to God there. And as the priest offers sacrifices on my behalf, what do I do? I wash my hands in the water there as a symbol of God's forgiveness and my integrity and desire to live for God. And I go around the altar shouting praises at the top of my voice, thanking God for his goodness and his forgiveness and his grace. David is a man of of devotion he's integrous because where do you find him he's with god rather than with those who would lead him astray what does that look like for us today how do we be with god like david was i wonder whether the apostle john had these words hundreds of years later in his mind whether he had this this psalm in mind when he wrote these Uh, words in john chapter one john says this about jesus the word that is the eternal son of god became flesh and dwelt among us we observed his glory the glory as the one and only son from the father full of grace and truth you see john using similar language dwelling glory why does he do this It's because he's saying, now that Jesus has come, God's glory dwells not in a building, but in a man, in Jesus. Now we don't go to a temple to see God's glory. We go to a man. We go to Jesus. 
Because in Jesus, we see the holiness and power of God displayed. And in Jesus, we see the grace and mercy of God displayed. Because his perfect life of obedience and integrity and his perfect sacrifice for our sin, they are the way that the holy and righteous God of the universe can meet with sinners like us. And so for us, if we want to live lives of integrity like David, then are we coming to Jesus? Is he the company that we keep? Have we come to him in faith and trust and been forgiven for all our sin? If you haven't done that, you need to talk to someone about it tonight. And if we have come to Jesus in that faith and trust, are we coming to him in prayer daily? Are we giving him sacrifices of thanks and praise? Are we reading his word, zealous to grow more like him? Are we meeting with his people and experiencing his promise? The promise that when two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, he is here amongst us. Is Jesus the place, the person where God's glory dwells? Is he the company that you keep? so that he continues to grow you in godliness and integrity. I pray that would be true for all of us in 2021. Well, David finishes giving his evidence, and then he moves on to closing statements. In the last part of the psalm, he comes back to his original plea, and he redevotes himself to God and to his integrity. So come with me these last few verses. David, he started out by crying out, vindicate me. Now he says, verse 9, the same thing in a different way. Do not destroy me along with sinners. He pleads with God, David, sorry, God, save me from my enemies. Don't let me be like them when you judge them. And God will judge them. Men of bloodshed who scheme evil things and who use bribes, he says. Save me from their fate. Help me to know you and live for you so that I don't face the same judgment that they face. And then David resolves. He redevotes himself to God in verse 11. He says, But I live, or I will live, with integrity. And even as David expresses his integrity earlier in the psalm, he knows that he needs to keep devoting himself to God. Or he will slip, or he will fall into sin again. But ultimately, look at, look at the end. Look at verse 11 and 12. David expresses again his trust and confidence that God will preserve and strengthen him to the end. Verse 11, redeem me and be gracious to me, God. My foot stands on level ground. I will praise the Lord in the assemblies. David knows He knows he needs God. I need your grace, he says. You are the one who makes me stand stand safely on level ground so that I won't fall. I trust you to keep me on track. I'm so confident that I know I will stand in the, the assemblies, the gathering of your people, and declare your praises in front of everyone. You see, there are many lessons we can learn from David in this psalm, I think. Um, how we can see ultimately that uh, he was a man of integrity and we can imitate him. But what are, the, what are the big lessons that we can take away? Let's just think for a moment and draw it all together. 
we learn two things from David's devotion in this psalm. The first thing is that it's God who is worthy of our trust and not us. Yes, David expresses his integrity, but doesn't he do that with total dependence on God? He's crying out to God in trust, asking for his help. He's tried to live by God's ways, and it's God who is able to make him stand on level ground and enable him to live with any integrity. So whatever integrity or godliness we think we might have, like David, we must humbly recognize that it all comes from God and that he deserves all the glory for it. God is the one worthy of trust. Not us. And the second thing we learn is that Jesus is the truly devoted one. As we read about David's devotion to God, these words point us forward to the son of David, to Jesus, the real king of God's people, and to the one who was truly devoted, truly integrous, perfectly. Because while David was a man who was integrous in many ways, he was devoted to God, he was still a sinner, imperfect like all of us. But as we look at him and his integrity and appointed forward to Jesus, we see the man perfect in integrity, a perfect life of obedience that we could not live. And so however great King David might be, King Jesus is far greater Jesus is the man of integrity and devotion who died for our lack of integrity and our lack of devotion. So he is our forgiveness and our salvation. He is the place where God's glory dwells and how we come to meet with the God of the universe. And he has become our great example, the great example of utter devotion and integrity to God. Let's pray that we would be made more like him. Our gracious Father, we give you thanks for the example of King David, for his devotion and integrity that you brought about in his life. We thank you more than that for King Jesus. We thank you for his perfect obedience so that he could be the sacrifice for our sin And then make us your forgiven people. Father, we pray that you would keep growing us in integrity, that you would give us great confidence in your work in our life, but also great humility, knowing that it is all your work and not ours, and that we give you all the glory. Father, please humble us in this way and help us to trust. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.